Hi, this is Cliff Click, and welcome to today's podcast. Um, if you like these podcasts, you can find out more information by visiting my blog at www.cliffc.org slash blog. Okay, so today I'm going to talk about Hotspot and the Java Virtual Machine and Save Points. This is this great misunderstood uh, issue that leads to all kinds of funny side effects that people don't understand very well. And I'm going to go step through, you know, why did, what's a save point, why it exists, and why you might care. The main thing here to think about is a safe point is this notion of having the Java virtual machines architected state be visible and when when there's not a safe point it's not visible. Okay, and what does this mean? Why do I care? It's basically you cannot stop the Java virtual machine from running except at safe points. And for all those people who do profiling based on standard, uh, you know, JVM TI interfaces, the built-in normal interface inside Hotspot, they'll only stop uh, JVM at a safe point, and that means they only get profiling ticks at safe points, and that means they get no profiling ticks where there's not a safe point, and the Hotspot compiler removes safe points from the insides of tiny hot loops, so you get no profiling ticks in tiny hot loops. And that means that people who do save point based profiles have this hole in their profiling where the hot code doesn't actually show up as being hot because it doesn't have a save point. Okay, um, how did this come about and why? You know, and what, why are we here? So the real reason for save points is to allow Java to have really good optimization and also allow for, uh, for instance, class loading and unloading for the ability to stop in the middle of debugging, you know, debugging optimized code to, to handle what are called heroic assumptions, uh, heroic optimizations in the hotspot lingo that later get invalidated because you know, something happened that you didn't expect. So the general problem here is really that debugging code and optimizing code sort of headbutt against each other. They fight in opposite directions. Debugging code says I want to look at all the different variables um, step by step by step by step, every point along the way. And optimization says something different. It says uh, I want to find the quickest, fastest, easiest way to get from point A to point B. And if you never look at variable X, then I'm never going to generate code for it, execute code to build that value, or do anything with it. It's going to be dead code. I'm going to drop it on the floor. So these two notions fight against each other. If you're in the debugger, you might want to look at variable X. If you're in the optimizer, X might be dead, and you're going to throw it away. And how do you how do you resolve that tension? So safe points are a way to resolve the tension. The idea is between safe points. So safe points are marker in the generated code and in the in the execution of the of the runtime engine, the hotspots, it's a virtual machine. So the virtual machine part of it means you execute bytecodes, and bytecode by bytecode by bytecode are the steps that you take. You cannot see the Java virtual machine within a single bytecode, but you can see it at each different bytecode if you're running interpreted, because every interpreter Every bytecode execution in the interpreter is a safe point as well. But if you get into the jitted code, now we want to go faster. We want to let the optimizer have some room to go do something. So we don't have safe points so often. In fact, they're really spread out as far as we can manage within some constraints I'll get to in a minute. And between safe points, the architected state is like, it's off. You don't get a Java virtual machine architected state. Between this safe point, which represents some bytecode execution, and that safe point over there, which represents you know maybe a thousand bytecodes later, in between those thousand bytecodes, the machine code that gets executed, it has no correlation with the Java virtual machine state. 
um, you know, hardly even loosey-goosey correlated. There's, there's very little. But it's all brought back together again by the next safe point. What that means is that for the next thousand bytecodes worth of execution, the compiler has a chance to go do some good optimization. And when he hits the next safe point, he has to stop and tease out the right bits to make a, a valid Java virtual machine execution point. So he gets a lot of leeway, as long as safe points don't come around too often, the overhead of adding a safe point compared to not having it is pretty low. In fact, it can be driven as low as you like if the safe points are spread out as far as you want, but there's really a point of diminishing returns. Beyond uh, you know several hundreds of bytecodes, there's not a whole lot more gain to be had. You, you get most of it in the first 10, 20 bytecodes, and then you get a, an interesting amount more to go to 100, and beyond a couple hundred, and didn't, didn't help any. So what that says is that you want to have bytecodes, I mean, safe points come around, you know, every several hundred to a thousand bytecodes. And so the compiler, uh, you know, keeps that invariant in mind, and what he's putting in safe points and deciding where they show up. The, the having the safe point means that I can stop the virtual machine not everywhere but often enough maybe every few hundred you know microseconds kind of thing and when it's stopped I can now do other stuff with it in particular once it's stopped I can stop and unwind this execution state back to the interpreter this is necessary if for whatever reason, some assumptions I was making while I was compiling this code got invalidated. The common one being is you load a new class that has a new virtual subclass, a new virtual call possibility. And under the old code, there was only one class that had this virtual call, and so you implemented the virtual call as a direct static call, which you probably then further inlined the static call, and, and you got some great speed ups, but somebody loaded a new class, the inlining's not valid, you have to go actually make the virtual call. And the generated code's no good, so you unwind your state back to the interpreter, throw away the jitted code, recompile into the new world order, and the next time you come in through here where there had been an inline single version of a call, there's now some way to handle two classes. And it could be a lot of different ways that JIT might get into, including inlining both or just doing an actual virtual call. I'm not going to go into that. But the point is the code changed, but it wasn't allowed to change except at a safe point. So the class that you were loading wasn't allowed to make a new instance until you're at a safe point. Because if you made a new instance and you handed off some running thread, he might run the old code, which wasn't valid because he would take the wrong call. Right? Okay. You have to have a safe point before you can load a class that would invalidate some code. And therefore, the safe points have to come around long, often enough that class loading is not stalled indefinitely. Um, same thing for various kinds of heroic assumptions. This value is never set, so it's always zero. And there's a lot of heroic assumptions the compiler makes that if they ever get blown, you have to stop a running thread who's executing this optimized code and unwind. Oh, that's great. So an another place we just talked about is um, you want to stop a thread for debugging. And if you're in the middle between safe points, you're not at any valid Java execution point. So there's nothing that you can tell the debugger that makes sense at the level of the Java or the Java bytecode. Because it's not representing any Java bytecode. Um, and which means that your debugging is stalled until you can get to a safe point, and that might be some microseconds, and that's long enough. I mean, that, that's short enough. People don't care. So another thing we figured out to, useful to do with safe points is that having stopped and having uh, uh, some sort of mapping from machine registers to Java execution state, it's cheap enough to have another mapping from you know machine registers to pointers. And this allows the GC to kick in. So, so GCs don't happen except at safe points as well. And you have to roll all threads forward to a safe point in order to start a GC cycle. And that's one of the, the fun issues. I did a lot of work at it. Azul Systems make that you know, more efficient than the standard VM. But it's still pretty damn good. One of the goals here of having GCs only at safe points is to cut down the total volume of pointer mappings 
um, which otherwise could get excessive. I, I've looked at it and played around with you know pointer mappings at every instruction and pointer mappings periodically that you roll forward to or backwards or whatever. There's a bunch of things. Doing that save points out works out pretty well and it overlays on top of this other mechanism you have to have already. So it's not that you must do GC only at save points, it's that it's convenient and easy to do it there. And you know it's good enough. So so why did I come around to this thing here? You, you know the save points to this funny um, it's this funny point where the virtual machine is valid, but in between safe points it's not. And what it means is you can't observe the JVM between valid execution points. It jumps from one valid execution point to another that might be a thousand bytecodes apart. If you're interpreted, it's one, but if you're compiled, it might be a thousand. So that notion is very similar to what goes on under the hood on an x86, where there's a valid CPU architected state and you run an instruction, and if you run them one by one, you can look at all the registers and see valid machine, you know, x86 machine state. But if you let it free run, um, and then you take interrupts, interrupts are not honored at every instruction. They're honored when the x86 thinks he can bring back a, a valid execution point. In particular, if he's doing wide issue and multiple instruction wide issue, he might execute four instructions before he honors the interrupt because he's in the middle of executing them anyhow and it might be longer than that there's i don't know what the rules are but when i do high resolution profiling using hardware profile counters on an x86 on sort of stylized looking code it's very clear there are some points he will never give you an interrupt because he's in the middle of doing wide execution and it's just not convenient but the interrupts come around fast enough, you know, shortly enough that you don't really care. But it does mean if you look at, you know, hardware performance counters of sort of dense unrolled code, you'll see uh, points where you get cycle counts for the hardware counters and points where you get no counts. And that's just one where the x86 said I'm doing four or 20 instructions in a row before I honor the next interrupt and pick up a hardware counter. It's all good, it's, but it's the same kind of notion where there's an architect, architected state that comes around in theory very frequently, but in practice to be efficient, you make it more rare because it's it's expensive to reach that architected state. I like to, to compare it to like quantum states on atoms. So this is a very loosey-goosey comparison, but there's a, a notion of a, of a quantum state and you can see this state or that state, but you can't see the in-between. And somehow the atom jumps from this state to that state. Um, and maybe it does a lot of complicated stuff in the middle, but you can't see it. And because you can't see it, you don't have any way to track it or tell what's going on. All you can see is you're here and then you're there. And the, the, the x86 uh, you know, machine instruction execution and the JVM between save points are the same thing. It's here or it's there. You know something's complicated going on in the middle. You just don't, can't tell what. So having said this about safe points, let me dive in a little bit of more detail of what you can do because you know you, you're not using debugging the every bytecode by bytecode by bytecode, but what the compiler might do. So suppose you have uh, I'll make this a really simple loop. It's a for loop for i equals one to n or zero to n, and and, and you're just adding the contents of array. So it's sum is equal to sum plus array of i. That's it, that's the entire loop. Okay, you, you want this loop to go fast because you're summing a million elements and maybe you're summing them a lot. Or I don't know what you're really doing here, but let's pretend you want this loop to go fast. So you're hoping that JIT will do range check elimination, uh, no pointer check elimination on the array base itself, and maybe some unrolling um, you know, to, to make it run a little faster. So what does that look like? So if you don't do anything into the code and you just sort of do a simplistic um, um, unrolling of bytecodes, you'd get some load of the array and, and you know load of the array base or load of the element, get an index i in a, in a stack register, the JVM execution machine register. You then do a bytecode that says array load i, and then you would 
load the sum from some local variable and add it, store it back, and then loop, you know, bump i and test for the end and loop again. It's a bunch of bytecodes doing a lot of work based in that, that array load bytecode. There's a null check on the array base and there's a range check on i, both of which you'd like to remove when you unroll. So you get it down to you know x86 hardware instructions, you'd rather see something like start up by putting the array base, maybe some offset from skip object headers into a register. And the index value doesn't have to actually show up because you're just going to bump the array pointer along and a sum of zero in a register. And you hit the loop where you load from the array base as a hardware load instruction that has been pre-range checked and pre-null checked, so there's no of those checks going on. This loads a value you can then add to a register. You then bump the, uh, uh, the pointer base by the size of the elements you're doing. You compare it to some pre-cooked up value, which is the end of the array. It's not the end of i hitting n, but it's the array of i hitting array to n. And then branch and go back. And that's a very, you know, it can be done in a handful of instructions, three or four, depending on how you lay them out. x86 will run that pretty damn fast. Then if you want to unroll it, say by factors of four or eight, so you have as many unroll factors as fit on a cache line, then you end up with something that looks like a, a, a load all the elements for you. So you unroll by four, you unroll say four elements. So your pointer base plus four plus eight plus 16 plus 24. Then you bump your pointer by 32, you compare to the end and you have four things loaded. So then you want to do three adds to bring them all up to you know, bring them all together and add them to your base and loop and go again. And you've cut down the number of adds to the pointer base by, by factor four. You actually also allowed a bunch of loads to run in parallel. And an x86 can do a bunch of loads in parallel if they're not otherwise conflicting. And then um, you can do the adds in parallel. Uh, you build an adder tree by just scheduling. And so you get to do the parallel adds because an x86 will do wide issue on the adds as well. And so you get some real efficiencies. The next thing is that because you're unrolling by a cache line's worth of stuff, you can start a load that you don't use in this loop iteration to prefetch the next cache line to help x86 pipeline this through as caches at a faster rate. And this cuts down the cache miss overhead if the array you're looking at is larger than it fits in its cache or just happens to not be in its cache at the moment. So, so there's another you know, benefit there as you're doing the work to do this cache line at the same time you're loading the next cache line and the overlap means that the cost of a cache miss is, is, or the cost of doing the work, one of the two, has been reduced by the other, right? So there's some, some good efficiencies going on there. A, a good amount of unrolling on what otherwise would be a tight loop can usually get you a factor of 2x to 8x speed up, depending on how the loop's structured and what you're trying to accomplish. It's, it's enough that you actually, you know, you really care um, to make these loops go fast. But in between, you just did four or eight loop iterations in one loop body, where was the safe point? So somewhere in there, you need to stop and say, I want to have a safe point, or else you run the loop to the end without ever taking a safe point. And, and that was the case of Hotspot for actually for quite a while. Um, if it was a million strong, long loop, but I knew that it ended at some point, it didn't run forever, you know, there'd be no safe point to the end and you would run the entire loop out to the end. And that was okay for the longest time and it very rarely people would get stuck by this and have an unfortunate GC stall where some other thread wanted to do a GC cycle, but this guy had to reach the end of the loop before he would do it. As of, I don't know, some time ago on Azul at least, I think on, X80, on, on Oracle's well, they do unroll and jam now. It's another compiler optimization where you essentially do some more unrolling effects and, and then put a safe point in every so many loop iterations, whether it's four, eight, or 32, or, or 1,000, as long as it comes around 
you know, every microsecond or so, that's good enough and you're done with save points. But it cuts the overhead of maintaining state for the loop down to one in every hundred iterations of the loop, a thousand iterations, however much you want to dial it down by. And what does overhead look like? Well, the usual overhead state is Java had an array index and the loop didn't want to have an array index. It wanted to have a, a pointer that it bounced through an array. And so you had to do a, an index bump by the count of times that you went between save points. Um, as the only extra overhead. Everything else, you know, with values had to be kept alive, you just spilled off to the stack. They weren't executing any instructions. They didn't take any registers. They disappeared from your cost model. And the save point mapping just told you where to go find this value in the stack somewhere or registers or however it's going to, where it's going to land it. And, and so the cost of having the ability to stop a loop somewhere in the middle drops to, you know, one one hundredth or one one thousandth of the body of the loop itself. It's so small, you know, it's less than one percent that you didn't care. You'd rather have the ability to stop and debug a hot optimized loop and pay a one percent overhead cost. And that's all the cost there was. You know, it was, it was like this really cheap thing. So safe points were a way or are a way to let you have highly optimized code, but for the cost of somewhere around one percent or, or less, Stop it at, at sort of any point, you know, a little delay, a microsecond delay, and, and then see the entire architected machine state and, and even make changes to it in the debugger or make changes to it by loading new classes or, or you know, whatever weird things happen to you. Somebody threw a, a, an exception at you from out of the blue. You had to honor it, and it wasn't otherwise in the Java language spec that you could take this exception, but some thread threw a, you know, thread.death at you or, a, or a, throw a null pointer exception at you from across threads, like something weird like that. And, and you honor it and you do the right thing. And so save points are just this fantastic notion for uh, debugging optimized code. And, and the only real drawback has been the way people have done profiling has been to use safe points as a way to indicate profile points. And that was never a good idea. And I said so back when I was at Sun before Oracle that this is a really stupid notion and I could give you a better thing, but people weren't interested and they had, no, 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 we're going to do it this way. And so they did it that way. And then suddenly you couldn't get good profiles for the longest time. These days you can start to get into um, better profiling technologies like VTune or whatever, and they have some virtual machine mappings available. Azul for many, many years now has had a complete virtual machine mapping state at any PC counter you can take a hardware performance hit or whatever and you get a random stack sampling and also hardware performance counters and it all just works because we did all the mappings you know sort of properly at safe points you got all the architected state but if you took a hardware performance counter in the middle that was marked on the uh, hardware instruction uh, correctly as you might expect and so if you looked at the output of the, the debugging tool on Azul, you got the full, you know, hardware x86 instruction set laid out with hardware performance counter ticks on every instruction and everywhere you hit a valid save point, you had a complete save point mapping information available as well. So there was, there was really cool things you can do there. Um, I think Oracle's a little ways off from that yet, but maybe it's getting closer. Yeah, anyway, so save points. They screw with your standard profiling tools. They, they make for Java running fast and letting you also debug it and also do all kinds of the cool optimizations that are valid at the moment but might change down the road. And that leads to you know, Java just generally being fast. Well, I guess this has been you know, Cliff Click talking about Hotspot and Java virtual machines and safe points. And may all your profilings be uh, valid and not confused by safe points. Thanks. Bye-bye.